A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Why Would You Tell Me That with me, Neil Delamere, and him, Dave Moore. If you haven't listened to any of the episodes so far, do get on that. They're non-topical and um, you, you'll enjoy it. Your mind will be opened. The flower of your knowledge will be fertilised. Wow. Your, your, your fecund garden will be slur- <laughs> slurried. <laughs> your fecund what? Yes, listen to the podcast. We're proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network and you can get us on, on all social media platforms, including the ones that have just been invented since the end of this conversation. <laughs> David, it is your turn to wow me with a fact. I've got to go to it for you and, and I am biased in this one because I like, I'll ask you a question and you can answer honestly. Mm. Do you think I am a content individual, a happy person? I have always said that you are a content individual and I put that down to a number of factors. Oh. Um, I think one, a, a good upbringing and family life. I, well, I would thank you. I would respect that, yes. Yes, and two, and I think this is even more important than, than, than that and that's a level of ignorance <laughs> of the world and how things work. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I mean, I really think that... Uh, a low IQ is very beneficial <laughs> in, in, in this. All of a sudden, I'm very happy without understanding why. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, well, actually, I so I would contend that I am indeed yes, a very happy and content individual. All joking aside. And, and all joking aside, there are many factors, I'm sure, that go into make up personality and all the reasons why this may or not be the mm. case. However, in part two, we're going to be joined by a chap called Bill. Bill's from Australia, and Bill is the professor in the Faculty of Society and Design in Bond University in Queensland, Australia. He's also Professor Emeritus, Distinguished Professor 2017, Macquarie University in New South Wales, Australia. And he is also, Neil, the Adjunct Professor in the University of New South Wales in Australia. So this man is about as qualified as they come. Okay. And Bill, you may be wondering how he's going to have anything to do with my happiness. Yes. Bill is going to tell us in part two why people who listen to this are actually happier than everybody else. (laughs) Neil, this man, this professor has proven this twice in two separate studies that the people who listen to death metal are happier yes. than everybody else. 
Okay, I've I've lots of questions on this. First of all, is Bill actually a professor, or or is New South Wales the name of his death metal band? Is this a, a, a bizarre <laughs> long con? Are you grifting for no. on behalf of big death metal? Also, can I ask what is the difference? Because I am a, an ignoramus when it comes to the different genres of metal. What is the difference between say death metal and other types of metal? Okay, that is a brilliant question, and actually, it would take at least the length of a podcast episode for me to explain it all to you because the family tree, the genre tree of metal is genuinely so phenomenal. I mean, if you think about it, it begins probably as far back as the blues. It comes oh into... My God. Oh no, my no, it God. does. It comes into the Chuck Berry type stuff. Uh, it grows up through the 70s, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, of course, you know, probably the most famous exponents of what became modern heavy metal. Then you had the new wave of British heavy metal that led us to thrash metal that gave us Metallica and Slayer and Megadeth and all these bands. And then it branched out into lots of different progressively heavier genres of music. And in there came death metal. And death metal is basically even more extreme than thrash metal. So take your Metallicas, take your Slayers and multiply them by about 10. And then add in those guttural vocals that lots of people figure are just noise. In fact, I often see things like, you know when dogs make kind of yeah. Yeah. noises, people will take those sounds and go, when your dog is a death metal singer, and it'll be like, over a massive amount of death metal, you're like, oh, it sounds the same as whatever band. Yeah. So death metal is extreme. However, listening to it does things that we'll discuss in part two with Professor Bill that make our brains, the brains of those of us who listen to this music, happier than yours and happier than people who like jazz and happier than people who like pop music i mean and... people who like jazz can't be happy <laughs> i mean that is a thing if there's a learned anything from the fast show is happiness isn't cool so therefore if you like jazz you can't be happy <laughs> that, that, that is a hundred percent i'm standing by that but that's fair that's fair you're never in ronnie scott's looking across a fella going that fella looks absolutely <laughs> delighted with himself look how happy he looks just mainlined a lot of heroin. You listen to a trumpet solo that's 15 minutes long. Nobody yeah. can breathe for the acrid tobacco smoke in this room. But yeah. he's really happy. He looks really happy. The drummer has died twice on stage. He's had to be resuscitated <laughs> and defibrillated by a fellow hitting him around the head with a saxophone. They're going to release the noise that the saxophone made by hitting the drummer in the head as a B-side. Because no <laughs> one understands what this particular band is playing anyway. But they all look very happy. Oh, that's the thing. They have a lightness of spirit about them, or something. Can I ask? Is is, is it death metal? Like, is it the 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 themes that they cover are, are all kind of dark and? Yeah, well, I suppose. I mean, look, mo most of metal deals with darkness and emotion, and uh, some of it deals in sadism, and some of it deals in pain, and some of it deals in all these kind of things. And then when you move on to black metal, then yeah. you're entering the realms of, you know, whether it's church burning and satanism and wow sorry a lot of like a lot of this is imagery like it's not it's not like that i must admit there are some pre previously convicted black metal musicians who have burned churches and things but <laughs> they're look they had problems going on before they got into music but you know but a lot of this is imagery and we'll get to this with bill but okay. there's a there's a lot of nuance and detail in the lyrics and in the the formation of the music and what it does to to, to our brains and our emotions. Is there in in this broad church of music which isn't on fire? Is there any such thing as deliberately happy metal? 
Like, is there anybody oh. with that really, that really guttural voice, but going, yeah, I saw some wax for strawberries for sale, <laughs> and I got some good value on the N11. Is there, I had a lovely yeah. 99 with fancy raspberry ripples. <laughs> <laughs> I got a good deal on a bouncy castle. We had a great day at the communion. <laughs> Can someone please take those lyrics? And put them over some death metal. It would make me the happiest I've ever been. <laughs> ever. Please do that and send it to us on social media. It didn't take us long to fill the paddling pool. And my cocker spaniel really liked it. <laughs> I like the melodies you've chosen as well. Everything about this is perfect. Okay, I can't wait to talk to Professor Bill. To answer your question, yes, there are people who do. They're not, not as, not as um, overtly happy as you do, but there is okay. Christian metal. Okay, Christian no, metal, can, it can yeah. sound as, as heavy as death yeah. metal but lyrically you know they're talking about praising Jesus and, and he's in their lives and he will save us and you know here comes the rapture and all that kind of stuff so yeah there's all, we're all hungry but he took our two loaves and five fishes and they weren't hungry anymore <laughs> oh brilliant uh, okay well look that's in part two let's focus on part one okay and yeah. in part one I'm going to tell you about some more metal heads okay and these metal heads are not like you know, I'm not going straight to death metal. Like other people you've heard, okay? Yeah. But I'm going to tell you about some of the wildest things that oh, metalers really. have done over the years. And Neil, some of these are class. Now, look, let's start with a, we're in a pretty basic one. You've probably heard the story of Van Halen and the brown M&Ms. Have you ever heard this story before? Okay. Yes. So Van Halen were going on a massive tour. They were the biggest band around in the 80s. And they put together this rider, this list of things they demanded from every venue they went to. And on it was, we do not want any brown M&M's in our room. We want M&M's, we don't want brown. And everyone kind of went, oh, these divas, these rock stars, David Lee Roth and Eddie Van Halen, they're just there. They can't even, you know, eat a packet. What's wrong with brown M&M's versus blue M&M's or whatever? And if you know the story, you'll know that actually it was a test. Okay? So the test was to see whether the venue and the promoter and the security company and the riggers and everybody had read through the entire rider document. And if they got to the venue and found that there were brown eminence, they went, okay, now we need to send our safety guys to check the rigging, the lighting, the pyrotechnics, everything, because these guys did not read the entire document and do it the, the right way. So it was actually a really sensible thing, although from the outside, of course, for years, it just persisted as this image of, you know, Van Halen being these demanding rock star divas. But in fact, there was method to the matter. That is, that is genius when you think about it. It's basically a little trap in the middle of it, isn't it? That's that's all it is. I mean, well, of course, once it becomes known that that's what to do, you just presumably scan all, you just do a word search for brown M&Ms and, and that's it. But I, I suppose different artists have changed since then and put in different weird requests. 100%. 100%. Like, I mean, I remember uh, Beyonce years and years and years ago when she played the point of the three arena, whatever it was at the time. Might have been the O2, actually. And someone was given out because she needed everything draped in white or whatever it was, you know. And look, I'm sure part of that was her being whatever. But also it later transpired that part of that was, well, if, and that was down the bottom of the document again, if the bathroom and the dressing room and the corridors and everything are draped in white when I walk in, I've nothing to worry about. I know everything's going to be fine because you've read everything. If I walk in and it's not, then I have to just have a look around and see. So look, there's, there's a logic to it. I suppose what you'd have to do is you'd have to not put that on the last page each time. You'd have to move it within the writer document, wouldn't you? Yeah. We once had Patrick Bergen on the panel, you know, who who was in famously in um, 
Sleeping with the Enemy with Julia yeah. Roberts was the big Great thing. movie. And we said to him, so how do you decide on the, on the, la- on the, on the part? And he went, I flicked to the last page, and if I'm still in it, I do it. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert for Sleeping with the Enemy, just saying. I seem to remember he was uh, living in a castle in, uh, on the awfully Tipperary border when we interviewed him. Wow. And Will Leahy, who was hosting the show as a guest host, said, uh, where do you live now? And he goes, I live in a castle. And Will Leahy looked at him and said, the best... Irish da thing I've ever heard he went yeah. it must be very hard to heat is it <laughs> not you're a rock star and, no. a, and a famous actor that lives in his own castle no would you have baguettes or what would you have <laughs> probably like the the super sir that we talked about on the, the wind did heat just go out the wind go out through those little yeah. slitty arrow windows wouldn't it it's useless <laughs> useless okay let's go back to something else you've probably heard of before Keith Moon yes 1967 yes. drove a Rolls Royce into the swimming pool of a Michigan Holiday Inn photos were taken Oasis used the image of that in one of their later album covers. It's, it's an iconic thing. However, I don't know if you knew this. His destructive antics led to the band being banned, the band being banned, from every single Holiday Inn in the world. <laughs> like, that is impressive. And someone will just go, do you know what, lads? You've ruined the pool in Michigan. You can now no longer go to any Holiday Inn anywhere in the entire band. They must have been really angry. Like, surely the band management would have gone, well, ban us from the ones that have pools. Like, there's, he, he's not going to run. Like, if they have a water feature, is he going to do it with a Mini or a smart car? He's not going to taper his, and tailor his car into water body shenanigans. He's Probably just going to do something else. Yeah, definitely do something. And, and let's face it, there are so many stories we could tell you about Keith Moon in particular and The Who, but we won't. We'll move on to Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin were banned from one single hotel in Seattle in 1969 for raucous rock star behavior when they were staying there they snuck back in in 1977 using aliases i don't know i think they did this on purpose because there's no other they could have stayed anywhere in seattle but they snuck back in used aliases and started to wreak havoc again they burned carpets <laughs> and they actually did the rock star cliche thing they threw five tvs out of the hotel windows i mean for that, for, for the stereotype, like it is the quintessential rock star thing to do. And they were the first people to do it, probably, if, 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 if it is the most famous one. How high up were they, I wonder? Yeah, I've often thought about that. Like, because whatever about wanton destruction yeah. within the confines of the hotel suite, mm. and, you know, maybe sticking it to the man or whatever their kind of feelings might be, or we don't care, we don't follow your rules, whatever. Surely the potential for throwing a very heavy tube television down onto an innocent passerby must cross your mind at some point. Yeah, and uh, I mean, like if you do it with a flat screen, uh, like uh, that's essentially you know skimming stones across a uh, across a lake. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could probably you could get proper distance with a flat screen. There's a good chance you throw a flat screen if you threw it from high enough before it disappeared from your vision. Like a collie would catch it, like on a body format to, to show that you could do anything while you're having your period. A hell of a collie to catch that. But yeah, you got him. <laughs> but how many tellies are in the room? Well, I presume there was, you know, maybe one in the bedroom, one in the living room kind of thing in a suite, but maybe they had a number of suites. Yeah. But also like in 1977, they're one of the most famous bands in the world. What kind of aliases did they use to, to, for people to go, oh, that's not Robert Plant or Jimmy Page? Like, I, I mean, whatever about the first one, they used to weigh a couple of three or four stone. Like, oh, I just easy. can't see your aunt, my 
my anger kind of continuing or even my kind of giddy excitement with the first one out the window, open the window. Like, but then to do that four more times, you go, oh, this is still a, a real, a real <laughs> laugh. Unless, of course, you know, they actually are much geekier than we expect. And they were doing the Galileo experiment. And one of them was sitting there with a clipboard going, well, in a vacuum. Um <laughs> This is a, this is an entirely different thing. And then they were caught, and they were like, oh, we're... "The Nord Mende seems considerably heavier than the Pie Television." Who knew that the Nord Mende had actually been designed with a resistance in mind? Kudos to the Nord Mende engineers, indeed. And then they were caught, and they had to go. Yeah, we were just doing it for the crack. Hold on, you we're rolling bars feather in the last Italian. <laughs> You're I don't know if you've heard of this one because I hadn't heard it until I started looking this up and finding as many crazy rock stories as I could. But Billy Idol, okay? Probably rock and roll more than heavy metal, but Billy Idol spent three weeks hosting raucous parties in his Oriental Hotel penthouse in Thailand in 1989. Again, 89, he's at the peak of his powers, his spiky white blonde hair, his, you know, sleeveless leather jacket. He's he's as cool as he gets and he decides Thailand's where he's going to go. So he goes there, he throws three weeks of parties in the penthouse. And you can imagine at the end of that period of time, there's going to be a bill. Well, the bill in 1989, yeah. which was a long time ago, was $149,000. Oh, I'm no good at working out the inflation value of that, but let's assume it's a hell of a lot more in today's money, right? Yeah. So the Thailand establishment said room fees, damages, Food, drink, whatever. This is what you owe us. Yeah. Billy Idol ignored hotel management. He refused to vacate his rooms. And then they, the, the hotel management said, well, if you don't, we're going to have to call the police. Call the police. That did not work. So then what did they do? They escalated it beyond the police. And they called the Thai military, who carried Billy out <laughs> on a stretcher <laughs> because they shot him with a tranquilizer dart. <laughs> It's the only way they could get him out of the room. They had to literally tranquilize him. So should we just shoot him dead? No, 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 no. Do you know that guy who catches tigers in the north of the country? Yes. <laughs> get him in here. Get him down they here. They just shot him with a tranquilizer dart. They shot him with a tranquilizer. Yeah, and then they went, here you go. Now, I'm assuming that Billy, at that point in his career, had probably tried, uh, I hope I'm not impugning his reputation, but rock stars try every chemical known to man, mm, you know? Mm, and I'd imagine yeah, he was yeah, probably, fair. I'm not saying he necessarily did, but... You know, you'd imagine that they they were bored. They're bored of trying the various different cocktails of drugs. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, you've done your cocaine, you've done your heroin, you know, you've done all this. Do you think maybe they set him off? Like, he was bored with life. He gets hit with ketamine or whatever it is. And he's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> this, uh, this, this is the next level. We call this the Bangkok cocktail. This is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> but it, I I can only get off me now. <laughs> and now it's a psychosexual thing. I can only get off on this if you dress up as a Thai policeman. I know. Thai military. Thai military. Sorry, Thai military. 12-y <laughs> rushed room. I pretended to throw <laughs> Nord Mende out the, window, out the window because I've invited Led Zeppelin around or whatever her name is this week wow what do you think would knock Billy Idol out I reckon if you fired clean blood into him at that point <laughs> like it was just just like saline or plasma from someone normal 
It was just a blood transfusion out. from a fella from Dorset Street would have been cleaner than whatever he had going on. In fairness, <laughs> I'd say yeah, yeah, just like the normal level of platelets, and his body would just go, yeah. "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> um, but you did remind me of a story about Rod Stewart, and people might think, you know, oh, Rod Stewart, yeah, you know, he's former grave been digger for a while, former grave digger, yes, yes. Well, Rod Stewart, alleged look, most of this is allegedly not all of it, most of this is allegedly. Rod Stewart was a little bit worried about the adverse health effects mm. of snorting too much cocaine through the nostrils. Right. So, not necessarily concerned about, you know, inhaling the Class A drug and the effects that may have internally yeah. or psychologically. Yeah. It was merely the appearance of his nose, okay. which he was concerned about. Okay. Right. So, Rod Stewart, for a period of time, Took cocaine oh. anally. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly, this you, is what he do. Do you think I'm sexy? I don't, actually. I don't. <laughs> I, I, not only that, but you really put me off snow globes. I, I, I'll be honest with you now. I had a bag of icing sugar there. I was going to dust my cake, but I'll be honest with you. I've seen your dusty cake and I don't want to be able to do it. Oh my God, Ross. Yeah. I mean, you've ruined four hoovers. <laughs> well you know we've had to do with those hoovers we were going to recycle them but apparently Led Zeppelin want to do another experiment and we're moving on to other appliances would he I'm going to delve into your knowledge on this I mean oh no, sorry sorry can I just say that before we go any further that's the extent of my knowledge but feel free to ask me questions so I'd love to know where your mind goes <laughs> okay 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 right well I don't know about you but my bottom uh, does not possess the uh, snorting uh, muscle, <laughs> like he, he he can't. Oh, it can be trained. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Now that is that is the Crufts uh, agility test that I'd like to see if you could train someone's bottom. And here we are. We have Dave Moore. Uh, this this woman, <laughs> and you would do the thing in between the bones, yeah, and yeah, then just yeah. sort snort a, a line. Up your hoop, <laughs> but you you cannot. Maybe that's how he does agility. Dogs are so fast. Who do who knows? So, oh my god! I've thought of the best thing ever. Right, you know the oh, way. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. If you could train your, either yourself or a dog to use their <laughs> anus to snort to like suck stuff yeah. up. Do you know yeah. when a dog has worms and wants to rub its arse on the carpet? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can get your dog to hoover the carpet while it has worms. <laughs> Oh, boy, we should give him his medicine. No, he hasn't done the corners yet. That would be fantastic. So, okay, so presumably... <laughs> we're going to get one of those rocky things, but then we just brought the dog in with other dogs that haven't been minded properly, and now he does the whole garden. Um, So, presumably, he, he can't... One, not Rod Stewart, cannot suck stuff up through his bottom. <laughs> so he would have to get it blown up his bottom. Oh, well, no, you're you're assuming what a straw that may, may or may not be is perhaps it can just be inserted. I mean, I didn't think I'd spend this much time actually in making mental images in my head of how exactly Rod Stewart took care of his business. But here we are. We are sailing. <laughs> we are sailing. Well, I don't know if we're sailing, but I can see a canal, Rod. We are sailing. <laughs> Stop. Okay, but listen. I can't, hold on. You, you can't say that and then just think that I was going to go, oh, that is that is indeed a, a, a tasteful tidbit for carry no, on. 
we're uh, we're almost 40 episodes in. I should have known that you weren't going to just accept that one and move on to the next one. Okay. We will move on, though, to Motley Crue. Motley Crue, a million fifty stories about these lads, right? Nicky Six was the bass player in Motley Crue. Mm. He was declared dead for two minutes. No way. After a near-fatal injection of heroin. Yeah. So Slash from Guns N' Roses, he was there. His Or at least his girlfriend was there. Slash's girlfriend gave Nicky Six mouth-to-mouth yeah. until paramedics arrived. Six was transported to the local hospital and released the next day, having been dead for two minutes. Wow. And do you know the next time that man took drugs? That day. <laughs> oh, God. That day. Really? The day he was released from hospital, having died from drugs, he took more drugs. Wow. Uh, speaking of Slash, okay. uh, Slash was so high one point yeah that he thought predator the the predator from the movie yeah was trying to kill him <laughs> right yeah he he punched his way through a glass door now i, I just love this sentence i'm going to i want you want you to absorb this sentence in. Okay. the most famous visually most famous rock star in the world with the hat and the hair down you can barely see his eyes yeah. right he punched his way through a glass door at an Arizona golf course, completely naked, because he thought Predator was trying to kill him. <laughs> and it doesn't end there. Oh, great. He grabbed a hotel maid yeah. and used her as a human shield <laughs> against the imaginary assailant. <laughs> well, in, in that, does an Arnold cover himself in mud? Yeah. And this is a golf to, course. To, this she, is a golf she's course. She's just holding this poor maid going, where is the bunker? <laughs> it's, the, it's the only And maid. what time does his sprinklers go on? <laughs> I, I, I do like his his will to survive. I mean, he doesn't yeah. do the noble thing there and just go, Predator's going to kill me. He is fighting for his life to the bitter end. Yeah. And I mean, I'd love to read, it didn't exist in 1989, but I'd love to read the TripAdvisor review that you might leave to the Arizona golf course hotel complex afterwards saying, you know, listen, <laughs> the food was okay. The room <laughs> left a lot to be desired, but the protection I got from the maid when I was being chased by pressure, five stars would recommend. Would, yeah. It's quite an unusually specific thing to have written on the, on, you know, the do not disturb sign. Like it says, yeah. do not disturb on one side, please service my room on the other side. And then just down the bottom. And in the event. I hallucinate <laughs> Predator. What year was this? 89. Oh, 1989. Okay, so Predator was out a few years then. Yes. Like, it would be so much weirder if he imagined it now. I mean, that would be... Oh, yeah. Or if he'd imagined it before it happened. <laughs> you know, who knows? <laughs> Next week, uh, apparently, <laughs> the idea from Predator came from what Slash imagined would happen to him. <laughs> You don't know if he imagined it after or not. <laughs> if he was running naked through a golf course door. Yeah. Wow. There's some quality stories. Yeah. Well, hang on. One more to, to finish off because probably the most famous rock debauchery person in the world. Is this going to upset Oz- me given that we... No, 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 no. This is Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. Okay. So Ozzy, Black Sabbath. Everyone knows it, right? Yeah. Everyone knows it. So the story is... Well, first, sorry. First of all, let's go back to Nikki Six for a second. Nikki Six, Motley Crue, on mm. tour with Ozzy. The two of them are trying to outdo each other and they're doing cocaine and they're doing heroin, whatever. And then Nikki Six is like, well, I, I don't know like, what else to do. I, I'm kind of done. And they, Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> finds a trail of ants. 
walking, you know, wherever they are, whether it's a bar or a backstage, I don't know where they are. Yeah. And he says, oh, we all know what to do now. And he snorts a line of ants to prove to Nikki Six that he's the madder fucker. <laughs> right? Oh, I mean, I mean, I think he's very much established a pecking order there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's just, that's just to give you context, Rosie. So, look, famously, Ozzy bit the head off a bat. Yeah. Okay? This isn't myth. This is true. But here's what people don't maybe realize. Is that this is, the bat scenario was the end of a culmination of events. Okay? Okay. So Ozzy had left Black Sabbath. Ozzy was going solo. Ozzy was touring, whatever. Ozzy needed a record deal. Everyone needs a record deal. And this is back in the 80s. You need a record deal. So Ozzy Osbourne was going into a meeting with record execs in some high-powered either LA or New York, like, office. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so he, he's going in there. And Sharon, his doting wife, says to him, you need to make an impression, Ozzy. You know, how are you going to impress these guys? I'm a fucking Ozzy Osbourne. Black Sabbath. No, no. You need to do something to show them you are the wildest rocker around. Yeah. Why don't you take these doves and release them in the, when we go into the meeting, release them. And they'll fly around. The lads will be like, oh, what's going on? I'm Ozzy Osbourne. I've got doves. Sign me up for a record deal. So they go into the meeting. They sit down. Ozzy produces the two doves. He releases one. Yeah. The dove flies around. Everyone's like, oh, what's going on, man? He takes the other dove in his hand, looks at it, and goes, and bites the dove's head off in the meeting with the record exec. Jesus Christ. Going, Sharon, I made made an impression, Sharon. So he did this in two separate meetings with different record labels who didn't give him a deal, by the way. Oh, no, really? Really? They didn't give him a deal. They didn't think Mr... Bird decapitator, Mr. Avian Guillotine over there. Uh, yeah, I think he's stable enough to uh, release some music. <laughs> give, yeah. yeah, give him loads of money, give him an advance, let him go to a studio, it'll all be fine. And then what happened was at a gig, he got the taste. Somebody for... heard this story. No, they heard the story. Okay. So they brought a bat to the gig, yeah. threw the bat to Ozzy, yeah. and said, A la doves, bite the head off. And Ozzy acceded to the demand. And then said immediately he it was the biggest regret of his life because there's, well, uh, no, I actually don't even want to get into the detail, but there's more going on with a bat than there is with a dove. That's all I'll say. And he he wasn't happy with anything. So he he bit a dove. Mm. And that is not the point where he went, no, this, is, <laughs> this isn't right. I should no. stop this and seek whatever professional help I need. I'm pretty sure... I'm banned from Birdwatch Ireland or whatever. <laughs> yeah. He went on to do it again. And it's yeah. only when he bit a bat that mm. he went, oh no, went, I yeah, need to no, examine is... my life choices here. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like this is a point where we should tell people that go back to listen to season two, uh, episode one, where we find out the bats live forever. <laughs> unless, unless, as long unless as they're not thrown on the stage with Ozzy Osbourne they've been bitten by Ozzy Osbourne maybe he knew that yeah. maybe he was ahead of the game and that's why he lived forever that is I mean it's gone down in the annals of rock and roll history we can say that it has it's, yes and it's uh, and now we've gotten to you know some insight into the rest of the shenanigans of the metal community however we will in part two when we're joined by Professor Bill Thompson we will explore some of the other things that heavy metal brings us the death metal makes me a happier person 
than you and anybody listening who doesn't listen to death metal. Okay. You're not as happy as I am. Okay. Yeah. I, w- I would agree with that, but there's a whole litany of reasons for that. No, it's all death metal. We'll explore it now in a sec. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Right, well, welcome back to part two of Why Would You Tell Me That? Uh, We are joined now by, listen to this list, Neil Delamere, a faculty of society and design in Bond University, Queensland, Professor Emeritus, Distinguished Professor in Macquarie University, and the Adjunct Professor in the University of New South Wales. It is, of course, the one and only Professor Bill Thompson. Hello, Bill. (laughs) How are you doing? Hi. (laughs) We're doing great, and thank you so much for joining us. And obviously, with you being in Australia, we've had to navigate time zones, and it's one day of the year for you, another day of the year for us, and we really do appreciate you making the effort. Yeah, well, the future is quite interesting here. We're we're ahead. Yeah. How is Wednesday? I can't wait to get into it. Yeah, we've been alien invasion. I'll just tell you that. I won't say anymore. Um, Bill, I've made a grand claim to Neil in part one and to all of our listeners. And the grand claim is this. The grand claim is people who listen to death metal. That would be me, Bill. I love it. I love I love thrash metal, speed metal, death metal, metal core, math core. I love it all. Right. And. The, the claim I've made is that people who listen to this music, this extreme heavy music, 
are happier than everybody else. Now, have I simplified that too much? Are there qualifications around this bill or is it actually true? Well, I, I'm certainly glad that you are happy. Um, and uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I guess I wouldn't put it that way. We've been working on, on death metal. And one of the things we noticed about virtually all scientific research on media violence, as they call it. So we're really only talking about a certain type of death metal that is death metal, such as Cannibal Corpse, that features violent themes. So right. that, you know, in the lyrics and so forth. So not all death metal obviously does that. But what we noticed was that all this research, which was sending alarm bells everywhere, was looking at the responses of people who never listen to death metal and mm. who don't play violent, you know, video games or anything like that. And uh, they were finding that, gee, people are a bit disturbed. But, you know, these these were non-fans. And... So that's why we we decided to look at the responses of fans, and you know, as as you point out, you know, you, we found that 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 they really had a range of very positive outcomes uh, to, when listening to the music that they love. So you know, it's, it's much more complicated than a lot of the earlier research had suggested. Okay, so let's dive into then, you know, when you did begin your research, and so the correlation between listening to bands like Cannibal Corpse. And then what, what did you use? Was it so what, was the original research before you the violence in video games related to that? Uh, indirectly in the sense that the people who were formerly researching violence in media generally, so video games, started to look at other media and they started to look at music and uh, they were doing research on non-fans and they kind of have an agenda uh, it's almost political, where they they just feel that there should be no violent depictions at all in popular media. They don't seem to mind if somebody goes to see Richard III and sees, you know, I don't know, people being decapitated or anything. But they, <laughs> yeah. they do care if kids are, are engaging in media uh, that seems overly violent and they worry about it. And, you know, I just have to say... I don't think that they're mean people or unreasonable people. I think that they've got, you know, a valid concern that just doesn't seem to be warranted by what we've found. Because what we've found is that the reason people are motivated to engage with intense, aggressive music that indeed has violent themes, that motivation is often to work through kind of an understanding of the world, uh, getting a deeper sense of meaning of, of how the, the world works that includes the violence in the world. But it's about um, getting meaning and it's about sometimes it's about working through people's own issues and sort of discharging their own feelings of frustration. But other times it's really just about uh, the performance, about the expertise that, that the musicians have. It's about doing something different than what some people think of as mind-numbing conventions of pop music, the verse, chorus, verse, you know, sort of folk song and, and, and pop traditions, that it's really cutting edge, doing something right. different. And the violence is actually, you know, 
charging through the screens of convention, I guess, in a way, so that, that it's having a different function than merely endorsing violence. Can, you know, I, this can is... I ask a, a kind of a, a measurable question? So if you, you played Dave some um, music that he loves, some death metal music that he loves, and you said that he has a positive outcome. How do you measure that? Or, or how, what does that look like in your experiment? Yeah, so there's different ways of looking at it. And uh, one is to just look at sort of standardized measures. So they're, they're essentially surveys that have been used that are known to be reliable. The psychometric properties have been established. And there's one is called the PANAS, positive and negative affect scale, but there are many. And you can look at these, these scales and simply you know, have people fill them out. People have also done brain responses. You know, they've looked at, at, at and they've done physiological, looked at things like, you know, is there cortisol released, uh, uh, which is a, a stress hormone, um, or are there other hormones released that, that are more uh, associated with pleasure? So there's a kind of range of measures, but there's also measures of aggression. So, for example, one of the ones that they've used is called the hot chili pepper a technique, right? <laughs> and I'll try to be as brief as I can to explain it. But basically, you listen to this really, you know, death metal, and then you're put in a room and you're told to allocate a certain amount of hot chili pepper to another person who you can't see behind a screen, and just say, you know, they, they, they're they've got to eat some rice, and we'd like you to, you know, allocate some hot chili pepper. And just by the way, they hate spicy food, right. and. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like a measure of indirect aggression and so what you know they found is these non-fans were so annoyed by the death metal at the end that they just like piled on the sh hot chili pepper <laughs> and said, great they don't like it okay well then i'm gonna give them more but they find that the fans actually were like oh gosh like i'm a vegan so i'm not gonna give them you know like i just i'm not gonna give them any hot ch chili pepper they don't like it and of course it's <laughs> so in that so in that situation dave would be like no if they don't like it let's give them very little the bare minimum whereas i'm just like an alcoholic at a bar going leave the bottle <laughs> yeah. I hope it gives them scar tissue because that's ironic in terms. Have of you got a Jolakaya ghost pepper mix? Because that's what we need <laughs> yeah, to throw at these right. people. That's right. Oh, wasn't there another part of your research as well that involved uh, two pieces of music? So one was a song called "Eaten," uh, and that is a song. Uh, it is. It has. It has cannibalistic images, and it's a, it's a very to eat, right? Yes, <laughs> it is a very extreme, lyrically very extreme song, and also musically. And the other one was "Happy" by Pharrell Williams, which, by its very <laughs> title, is is happy. And then you did an amazing experiment. Called, is it binocular rivalry? Yes, binocular rivalry. Please That's right. explain this to Neil and to the rest of the audience because <laughs> this is fascinating. Okay, so the, the way binocular rivalry works is that you put two different images to the two eyes, and what you find is that the brain really can't handle that. I mean, so that when you're looking at it, basically what the brain does is it processes one at a time, and it, so it'll alternate between the two images. And what they found is that that alternation also reflects the amount of attention that the brain is paying to each of the images. Now, normally people are quite sensitive to violence. So if you have a violent image and a neutral image, the brain will allocate more attention to the violent image. So what you'll find is that in that alternation, the violent image will appear for longer. 
So all people have to do is they press a button whenever it changes. So that gives you a measure of how long the brain is attending to each of the two images. Now, what we were interested in is the claim, a longstanding claim, that all this, these depictions of violence lead to desensitization to violent materials. So that when you witness other forms of violence, including in the real world, you might just say, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, I listened to Cannibal Corpse this morning, so yeah. <laughs> I don't care that a person was just like stabbed three times. Well, what we were showing was that if that were the case, then the brain should allocate less attention to these violent images if they're fans of, of music that has violent themes than if they're not. And we didn't find that. I mean, so what we found was that actually, if anything, it was the, the reverse, that we think that some people who are attracted to violently themed media actually have a little bit of morbid curiosity. I mean, they, they, they are kind of drawn towards dark themes, but it's not necessarily because they are violent and it's not because they're desensitized. It's for other reasons that seem to be mainly beneficial psychosocially. So that's the way it worked out. And, and, and so then we started to work on the concept of morbid curiosity and you know, why some people are kind of drawn towards dark themes. Well, I work in radio and uh, I would meet the promoters of huge festivals and gigs all the time. I'd be friends with these people who do it here in Ireland and they bring people over or whatever. And without question, and I've uh, this is anecdotal, absolutely, this is not a scientific experiment, but they will tell you that any heavy metal concert or any festival that involves heavy metal of any description will be a peaceful event there will be very little in the way of security having to do anything other than carry people who've crowd surfed to the front of the crowd, help them down and lead them back out into the crowd again. And that when there's a pop artist or when there's a dance artist or when there's a top 40 artist, they're like, the security have to work 10 times harder because I, I, I'm not actually sure what the reason is. I mean, maybe there's a community, a sense of identity and belonging to what is maybe by perceived by the general public as a, a niche piece of, of music. Therefore, you've got a niche kind of black t-shirt, heavy metal wearing uniform. And you kind of, maybe you feel a sense of identity that other more general music doesn't engender. I don't know if that's what it is, but I've been to heavy metal gigs since I was 13 years old. I was in 1988. I saw Metallica in a ballroom in a suburb of Dublin here. And it was the first time I ever went to one of those concerts. And I, I was knocked to the ground by the violence of what was going on, but immediately picked up and, and looked after him. Was I okay? Because the, the lads who were there realized I was only a kid. They were my other kid friend. Um, and that, I don't know, there seems to be some vibe and personality and caring characteristic to a heavy metal crowd when lyrically the bands are up there screaming about slicing people from one end to the other and hanging them upside down and inverted crucifixes. But ultimately, everyone's like, look after each other and mind each other, and there's no problems. Yeah, I, I mean, I, my intuition, and I, I mean, I could be wrong because we haven't studied this or anything, but my intuition is that, that it's kind of like art house music in the sense that it's really going against conventions. And when I first listen to to death metal i mean i i come from a metal background but you know it's more pop metal i guess you know it's sure. like come from led zeppelin and then up to lincoln park and then i start like i started to 
to, to not really follow what was going on. I mean, I've listened to Deftones and, and Korn and bands like that. And what I learned really is to appreciate just how different the music is compared to conventional um, pop structure. So you get these sudden changes in tempo. A lot of the riffs that are being played by the guitar are kind of atonal. So a lot of the structures are very different than what we're used to. And this is something that I think uh, people who aren't fans don't really hear. They just hear this crazy noise yeah, and this yeah, metal yeah, yeah. and like this you know, cacophony. Oh, ne Neil hates getting into my car when I'm playing any of this stuff. He's, he's like, <laughs> no, that's what? just a general. That's a general feeling of being unsafe. I mean, that's that's, that's, that's how we met. It was a layby. It was just weird, to be honest. Yeah, well, I hope you're not driving quickly or anything like that while the music is playing. But you know, it's. Uh, I, I I do think that it's intended to be edgy. I mean, let's, you know, let's not <laughs> pretend that it's, it's it's supposed to be like a lullaby. It's obviously is edgy, it's different, it's it's novel, it's innovative. Um, it's about uh, high levels of expertise and skill uh, to play, the machine gun type drumming and, and so forth. And the vocals are so bizarre often and they, they become an instrument in themselves. I guess what I want to say is I don't think that the people who are concerned are vilifying. I just think that they don't really understand the music and there's a bit of a fear of the unknowns. But, you know, the problem is that, that the police, they're actually censoring bands. You know, in Australia, yes. there's a, you know, one four is another one example, but Cannibal Corpse was banned from Australia entirely. Like, so there's a lot of examples of censorship and I think it's born of, of misunderstanding i can absolutely categorically tell you bill and neil and everyone listening that i wear a whoop uh fitness tracker right so it's a very advanced 21st century fitness tracker, and it tracks lots of different things far too much information for a sedentary man like me but anyway i just i have it right but i have just out of a sheer curiosity because i not only listen to heavy metal but i play it on the guitar along at the same time and i have watched my heart rate dip unbelievably quickly when i put on really extreme music and particularly when i put it on and i play along with it and so if i'm sitting with a heart rate of in the 70s maybe even in the 80s if i'm kind of busy running around the house i've got four kids i'm putting them to bed i'm doing homework and you forgot to do this and i've got to wash your uniform and whatever it is and then i kind of go oh god they're all gone to bed right and like what will i do will i watch telly will i watch a suit no I'll put on Slipknot, I'll get a guitar that's tuned to drop A, and I'll play along, whatever. And just out of interest, if I turn my phone sideways, I have the, within the app, I have the live heart rate reading. And I watch it, and it goes from 80, 82, whatever, and it goes down at 75, 70. And I'm, I'm literally playing things that are 150 BPM. I'm playing hugely heavy, massive things. I'm, I'm screaming internally because my kids are asleep. I'm not singing the vocals. And my heart rate is 62. And I'm like, this is proof. This music has a f an effect on me because I'm so familiar with it and because I crave it that it genuinely calms me down and makes me happy and relaxed. And the things that people in this would go, you cannot feel relaxed because of that. I'm like, no, I really do. Are you not saying, though, there that fan of thing enjoys the thing, though? I think that you're right. And like what it was 
people who enjoy music enjoy music, right? I mean, there's a little yeah, bit of like yeah, topology yeah. going on. And, and I wrote a, an article for a popular outlet and the, it allowed comments. And some people said, oh my gosh, you know, this is really, you know, just stunning and shows, you know, the stunning force of science showing that people who enjoy a particular type of music enjoy it. <laughs> and that, okay, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, fair point, you know, like, but the thing is that what they weren't saying is that it's a lot of censorship, you know, that, but, you know, I, I think that, that what we then have to understand is the fact that when people look at, say, mosh pits and they see people running around and flailing their arms and they, you know, there's a lot of sort of signaling, you know, emotional signaling that you could be forgiven for thinking that there was something really wrong, you know, because you're not part of that culture. And we, we talk about cross-cultural psychology or anthropology and think, well, we have to think about within Western society, there are many different kind of subcultures. There's many different, you know, sort of traditions going on. And a lot of them we don't understand, you know, unless you're inside them. And when you do analyses of uh, any kind of edgy music, you are going to find some subset of the people who do have problems of depression and so forth. And in some cases, they're actually, that music is helping them. And I, I, I mean, I just want to relay one story. I was speaking at uh, University of British Columbia a couple of years ago and talking about it. And a woman was there and she said that she had actually suffered some kind of stroke in her 20s that left her basically lying in a hospital bed for a year. And people tried to play music to her. And she said they finally figured out that death metal was the only music that could get through to her and wow. energize her enough wow. to the point where she said that that was the stimulus for her recovery. That Because she wow. said that was the only music that could reach her. All the other music was sort of like like nothing, like throwing lukewarm like a piece of lettuce or something on her, whereas death metal actually got through. There you go, wow. Neil. There you go. Uh, again, it's all the anecdotal stuff, but I mean, I do feel like metal is a natural, maybe not anger management tool, but an emotional emotions processing valve. tool. Yeah. yeah, it's a valve that, uh, you know, like I'm not a violent man. I am. I have had one fist fight in my life and it lasted four seconds when the guy headbutted me and I ran home to my house. Um, I am very calm, very peaceful. I just like getting along with everybody, but I will listen to music that, as I said, from an imagery point of view, lyrically, you know, it will shock everybody who listens to the lyric and can make out the lyric or maybe reads the lyrics. And then musically, most of the people in the world will go, this is just, as you said, Bill, a cacophony of noise. I can't understand it. But but it it it, it just it, there's something happening psychologically in my brain and the brains of metal fans that is that is allowing the maybe, you know, pent up emotions to process through this thing, and, and I suppose it may be in the same way that you go through a bad breakup, you listen to sad songs. You know, <laughs> why, why would you do that? It seems paradoxical, but you would do it because it's helping you process your own emotions. I think it's both, yeah, the processing of your own emotions, but it's also, you know, that, that for me, music is, is like an entry point or a window into a kind of another space, another world, and mm. an, another way of, 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 of being, and it reminds you of, of your sense of identity, you know, of, of, of who you are. It's sort of a comfort because it's familiar to you, and it helps to define you. 
So can I ask what your next um, study is going to be about? And if you don't have one lined up, could I suggest that we slowly remove death metal from Dave and see <laughs> how mental he goes? <laughs> see I, how violent I, I become. Yeah, I think that I think we need to. It, it, it sounds like you know you've got a uh, you know a serious problem with Slipknot and and and, yeah. and you know there needs to be an intervention. Well, I'll, I'll finish on a very quick uh, anecdote again, which is about my tw- I have twin daughters who are now eight years old, and they are as typical girls as you can imagine. It's unicorns and YouTubers and all the things you would expect eight year olds to love. However, they were brought up being exposed to heavy metal or whatever. And, you know, as they were infants and whatever, and I would listen to it, obviously, at a lower volume or whatever, but they would be in the room and they'd be sleeping. I'd be feeding them, doing the late night feed, and I'd have Slipknot on or Dark Angel or whatever it would be. And now when my uh, eight-year-old, one of my girls who has a little bit more trouble sleeping than the other one, she will often come downstairs and say to me, Daddy, it used to be, will you put on the loud music? Now she knows what to call it. She's like, will you will you put on whatever? And the sitting room where I'm currently sitting, where there's tv and my guitar amp is i will put on heavy metal she sleeps directly above and she will conk out in like minutes she will be asleep because she can feel the familiarity of this heavy vibratory you know extreme music that she associates obviously with having a good sleep when she was an infant or whatever so <laughs> she'll just go to it. so it's even affecting eight-year-old unicorn lovers I think that's unbelievable. That is, like to to think that death metal is now like the new lullaby. There you um, go. Bill. Is is pretty <laughs> extraordinary. Professor Bill Thompson, thank you so much for talking to us today. Especially the fact that, as I said, I know you had to get up very early in the morning to do this. We're really grateful, and thank you for this insight. And and as you said, showing the world that death metal has a lot more to offer than just a big pile of noise. Thank you. <laughs> that's great to meet you both. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Cheers. Welcome back to, or should I say, welcome back to part three. <laughs> I'm not a metal vocalist. That was absolutely fascinating, I have to say. There's a couple of things I thought were really interesting. First of all, I love the idea now of metal fans. The opposite of Keith Moo, just metal bands collecting bits of televisions, putting them back together, <laughs> standing on each other's shoulders and putting them back into Holiday <laughs> Inns and all the rest. Because they seem really nice people. <laughs> Um, And I thought that what is the measure of whether you're you're enjoying something or not? I thought it would be a cortisol thing. I actually thought it would be a stress hormone thing or a blood draw, you know, to test that sort of stuff. The binocular stuff is amazing. But but I still think the finest part, apart from the idea of death metal not being as bad, I'm saying in inverted commas, as people think, the idea that you would measure how positive you frame of mind you're in is by how much suffering that you are willing to place upon somebody else using hot sauce yeah. is yeah. my favorite scientific fact of this week it's fantastic yes. it is brilliant in fairness and like i love the fact that this is how bill a metal fan approaches yeah. his scientific research to try and find this kind of information and uh, and and study these kinds of things and look i know my stuff is anecdotal but genuinely like i have been to so many shows i have been to so many different i i love a lot of music i work professionally in an industry where i'm required gigs and i go to everything from the cheesiest pop stuff you know through to classical music to opera right down to every kind of rock and pop you can think 
and genuinely the nicest crowds, the most friendly environments, the most, for me, obviously, biggest sense of community. Like, it is always, always metal. And I, I've gone to all over the world. It's not an Irish thing. It's not an American thing. It's not a UK thing. I was only in Germany in the summertime to see Metallica in Hamburg. And I'd never been to Germany to see a metal gig. Everybody at the show was the same. Like, Yeah, but let's, let's not over-egg it too much. If Metallica had looked out from Hamburg and went, that's the boy who collapsed in the Port Marnock gig years and years ago <laughs> like i mean that would be like wow okay these boys yeah. are much softer than we thought they were okay okay that's but, fair that's no fair. i like the way you say it's anecdotal but i always think that how does a scientist get an idea mm. maybe not necessarily in the kind of certain sciences but in the kind of social sciences and the, the behavioral sciences how do they get an idea for a piece of research it's because of anecdote or something yeah. they have noticed themselves and then they set up an experiment to prove it. I would imagine the people who are doing the experiment are like you and they think oh, loads of people I know in metal are very nice and I don't get annoyed when I listen to metal. Maybe <laughs> I'll figure out an experiment to figure it out and that's what's been done. And I think given the fact that he's mentioned Cannibal Corpse a number of times, Bill, in the thing, I think we should have a quick blast of a little bit of Cannibal Corpse just to expose you. Now, Neil, okay. just a little bit. Okay. See, see how you feel after this. <laughs> What, 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 what do you think of that? Is, that? is that something you can imagine yourself, you know, chilling out to on a Sunday morning with I think and so. juice? Yeah, I mean, I would wonder, is it the corpse of a cannibal? <laughs> or is it a cannibal about to eat a corpse? I mean, that would be my questions. first question. No, I, I yeah. mean, I'd like to know the... the, the, the Specifics. So, yes. The subriquet, the nomenclature, I can't even say the word, of, <laughs> of what's going on first. And then I could listen to the music well, happily. If I could invite everybody to listen to a bit of Cannibal Corpse while reading the lyrics and then say, <laughs> oh, Dave thinks this relaxes him. You know, look, I get it. It's extreme. How did they get it's away with the on. hot sauce thing? I'm still back on this. I mean, who, who came up with this? Like, like, did they reject stuff? Was there a, okay, now we're going to see how positive... Uh, you feel about the music by you get to decide how much broken glass that you're going to put in the apple tart that they're going to eat. Oh no, we're not allowed to do that. What about hot sauce? Oh, hot sauce. Okay, that's fine. Hot sauce, we can do that. Uh, that was a fascinating uh, episode. That really opened yeah. my eyes. Thank you very much, David. No worries. And exposing anybody I can to metal and death metal in particular makes me a very happy man. I'm happy. I'm just a happy guy. What have you got for us next week, Neil? I'm going to tell you why you would want your tooth stuck into your eye. Oh my God. Can't wait for that. Thank you, Neil Delamere. This is Why Would You Tell Me That. Go back and listen to all of the episodes. There are so many of you to go back and enjoy if this is the first one you're listening to. Uh, and you can follow us as well. We are on Instagram. We are at Why Would You Tell Me That. He is at Neil Delamere Comedy. I am at Dave Said AFM. And thank you very much for listening. Bye. Bye, everybody. I am a cannibal corpse. <laughs>
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.